just need to work really hard internally on those biases and to just really hear what people are saying. Being a writer, I mean, working with stories every day, I listen, but then as a writer, I then have to turn it into how, and mm -hmm. I need to work, I need to pitch it. Whereas, and that's just a, a business aspect of my brain. Whereas when I'm talking with people like you, mm -hmm. I need to switch off that business aspect of how do I flip it to just listening. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. It's so good to have you here. Uh, these are just casual conversations where... You know, we are we are diving deep into whatever that takes us and wherever that goes, because those are where the learnings are. I think, you know, one of the things that has been interesting throughout these conversations is just returning back to people as human beings and, and realizing that each one of us has things that we do, things that we talk about, things that we're learning about right now. And how do we do that well and, and turn up in, in what we're meant to turn up each day? And I think that's the exciting thing. And this month we've had the lens of uh, the, the muscle of human intelligence and that's been intriguing and some really interesting insights one of them being about listening i'd love your thinking around that yeah it's i find when people are listening they're not like when people are hearing they're not listening if you know what i mean like it's, it's the same when people are talking or if you're even if you're reading a book or something people take away what they need to hear so mm. if someone's saying something and they and someone takes away something different which happens a lot it's so much it's such a personal exchange and it might be frustrating for the person who's talking but it might be a really healing experience for the person listening you know it's such a yeah it's such a personal personal thing to go through uh listening i i'm terrible <laughs> at listening i'm learning to become a better listener i hear i hear what people are saying but like i said i don't always listen and i'm someone um who always reverts things back to how it's affected me in my life and it's not to be um to turn the conversation on me but i want to kind of show the person that i'm understanding what they're they're going through or what they're saying so if someone says to me for example i'm really super anxious right now this is how i'm feeling i you know i feel sick the stomach and all that kind of stuff i would probably come and say yeah i felt like this um when i was when i broke my arm in poland on christmas day snowboarding which is which actually happened by the way <laughs> but you know i'll be like yeah i felt like that as well and and i would and i would turn it into something that had happened in my life which I, which isn't to take the the message away from the person who's talking but more to show that i understand what they're going through i want to explain to them yes i i can hear you and i'm listening to you this has happened to me so i understand but then at the same time i might take away something different than what they're saying i might they might they might not might just need a hug and i might then in turn give them some advice instead of giving them a hug um so which is for something that i'm going through at the moment i'm so sick of people giving me advice <laughs> you yeah. know 
I'm so ready for someone to just give me a hug and be like, it'll be fine. Yeah. But as problem solvers, the humans are such natural problem solvers. When someone says they're upset or they're trying to get you to listen to something, you immediately go into problem solving mode because you want to help them. Um, and we aren't as a cult, as a, well, as a Western society anyway, we aren't really brought up to, to say, give them a hug. You know, it's starting to come into play now. We're brought up to think, you know, how can we help them? You know, what can we do to help them? Um, and often the answer sometimes is just give a hug. So when it comes to listening and understanding what people are saying, it's such an unlearning process to be like, well, what am I listening to and what have I been programmed to react as, you know? But how do we do that well when a lot of what we're doing is online? How do you give a hug online? Well, I all the time write big hugs. Yeah. <laughs> I just write big hugs. I don't know. And I've it, as, a, as a writer as well, as someone who loves to write long, intricate messages, um, I've often written them. Then I've gone back and reread the message and then just written, I'm here for you whenever you need me, big hug. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I've gone, oh, this is me giving the advice and they may not need the advice. So when you, I, I, online, I think it's best to just offer what you can because a lot of the time, because I, I mean, online, so many of my friends are online and I've never physically met them in person. Yeah. Like I think I have more friends that I haven't met than friends that I have met now. <laughs> so it's, it's such an unusual situation to be in. But when you offer to someone, I'm here for whenever you need me, big hugs, you know, that opens up the channel to be like, for you to then reach out again in a couple of days and be like, look, I meant what I said. Do you need anything? Do you need a chat? Do you need me to send a lasagna to your house? You know, it's, yeah. it's something like that. And I find that online and especially because things can get taken so askew online. Like if mm -hmm. you send a text message or you write a comment or you write a post that is supposed to be neutral or has something that's relevant to you, it can so easily be taken the wrong way by someone else who's in a different mindset than the one that you are. And like I said before, everything is taken personally when it when it's when it's faced you. And so that's that's kind of what I that's one of the really difficult things about what we're going through as a techno in the tech this technological age. But I mean at the end of the day, like I said, we're all a learning process and how they take your content or your message or your post is their problem. You know, we can only just say, I'm here for you. Big hugs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I find some of those things that you've just said are quite interesting in the way that, uh, you know, you said, hey, I probably listen to some degree, but I don't listen to full degree. And and then when you do, it's kind of like saying it from, and, and what I would say is it's saying it from your context. In other words, it gives you somewhere where you relate to and they can relate to that too, which is great, except when maybe you put your biases on something and they weren't even actually saying that. And so they're like, there's still that disconnect. I think that's the interesting thing around uh, story, that story gives us context, but it's always context 
within regards to what lenses we use. So if we have some biases around something, we are probably going to translate that to a different story to then even maybe what it was written or said to us. Uh, and in the same way, uh, we may absolutely connect with that story because we totally relate to that because we've had to use those lenses. We've got those learnings too. How do we do that more effectively? Yeah, I think it's such a learning curve. I think that you need to expose, be exposed to a lot more. Um, it's not something that's going to happen just automatically. It's not a switch that's going to be flicked. I think it's more of a, you know, you need to read more. You need to um, converse with more different types of people, like different ages, different cultures, different beliefs, different religions, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that because the biases we have are because of the way that we've been raised, the culture that we've been brought up in. Um, I know for an example, uh, many, many years ago, two examples, um, quite a lot of my friends are in the LGBT community. Mm. Um, and I had immediately, this was would be about 10 years ago, started referring to my romantic partners as just partners or I started asking people, how is your partner? Because instead mm. of instead of that bias of, you know, you're a woman, how is your husband or how is your boyfriend, you know? Because mm. I, I met, so I had so many friends who couldn't relate to that type of question. Um, so I refer to my partner as my partner. Mm. Um, specifically for the fact, and I get, a lot of people look at me and they're like, male, female, <laughs> because I do, I just refer to them as partner. But I found that when I am talking to people, I had to really make that switch yeah. in my head to remove that bias that I was brought up with, you know, male, female partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. So that's one that I made. And another one mm -hmm. that I made was that because I wasn't brought up religious, I don't have a religion. Um, but when I moved to London for a couple of years, a lot of my friends over there were religious. So when I would say, oh, my God, mm -hmm. oh, oh, Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff, um, they're like, oh, you can't say the Lord's name in vain and all that kind of stuff. So I changed it very quickly to, oh, mm -hmm. my gosh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, again, another bias that I grew up with. And it wasn't and it wasn't a, a, a personal attack. And they, ne they never no. took it. But it, it, it's something that I really had to learn. But I hadn't never been exposed to it before. So it's something I didn't know that I had to learn. So mm -hmm. I find when when people are looking to learn or trying to to understand what other people are going through it's purely needs to be something that you're exposed to on a personal level like from a friend or or something like that yeah it's it is interesting because the biases play a huge part in how we how we choose or don't choose and yet the extremes are almost so wide now like there's so many things you're not meant to say or write or so how do we how do we balance that or like what are you seeing in in how you're writing are you stopping writing things that might be incorrect you know politically or uh you know within groups i think that this is really tricky because we don't want to upset people we want to always respect humanity and yet we still need to voice who we are and what we're about so how do we do that yeah i'm a big mindset of you can't please everyone and if you're not going out to intentionally hurt someone in what you've written and what you're speaking about and if they get hurt by it, then that that's not your fault. You haven't done it intentionally. It's something you didn't know. So if you're going out and doing something intentionally to be hurtful, then obviously you need to become more mindful of that and not 
and not do that. But if you've written something, and we were, last time we chatted when we were talking about the braids, you know, I wear my oh, hair and yes. braids all the time, and it's not. I'm not from a culture that would normally wear braids, but it's so easy to wear braids with my yeah. hair. I haven't washed it. And that's not me trying to be culturally disres disrespectful. That's me wanting to put my hair in a braid because I haven't washed it for a week. You know, it, it's not, and it's, it's something that I'm not going out to specifically be disrespectful to a culture, but also it's something that I have in my life that I'm not going to stop doing because it's, because it's not part of my See, culture. That, that's such a tricky thing because I know the same thing that I have always worn lots of braids. And when I talk about braids, I mean like those really tiny ones. And I got married in, in with my hair with braids. I've worn them a lot when I traveled the world because it was way easier. I was on camera lots. I was on stages. And when you go from beach or, you know, like in the water to then jumping on a stage, uh you know you you can i don't i don't have time and i traveled with my children so i didn't have time to spend you know how many hours in the salon before i go on a stage and then put my makeup on and do all that sort of thing like that's that's actually not congruent to who i am and what i'm about anyway let alone the fact the practical side of that yet you've got to be able to be respectful when you stand on the stage you've got to turn up looking good your best you can and all those sort of things so for me the best that i could turn up was often having my hair and braids all the time and you know what was funny i have never really got challenged with it yet there was uh one particular time and it was actually uh by a white person saying that do you realize where that's come from what that's about and I said yeah and I do it because of this and I don't really like I don't at that point I was like I don't care where it comes from I'm really comfortable with it I love it I feel natural in it and I look good in it and when I stand on that stage I can feel confident as well because I was in and out of culture, like whether it was in the front front line of humanity, whether it was at really top decision tables, and I could bounce from those really, really easily. And so it worked well. Uh, you know, and, so, and in many cases that, that would have been upsetting for some people. You don't do it because of that. I kept doing it. I've, you know, and I respect where it's come from in that way as well. But my mates have never, and that have come from the background of where that's come from, have never ever gone, you shouldn't do it because you're not me and you haven't come from here. They just know I'm in and out of tribal stuff all the time. And in some ways that that made it easier because I fit it in more. And, and here's the other thing. I, and I know a lot of, I've had someone on here before and she she's uh, born in New Zealand like myself. And so because I'm brown, there's this expectation that I should be exactly like the brown side of New Zealand. Well, here's the interesting thing. All I do know is that my background is that I was uh, born to a um, 
full European, so the white Pakia side of New Zealand is what they say, and obviously the brown side came from somewhere. I actually don't know where that is from. And in many cases, and and you know, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of people speculating from me saying this, but in a lot of cases, I didn't mind that I didn't know where that was. And in fact, I felt as I traveled the world more, I was more accepted by many, many cultures across the the globe. And for me, that was, I, I really identified as a global child in that way or a citizen. And, and it became part of my story that I actually, I, I loved humanity and I loved being a part of humanity. And that's kind of where not even through the insights of my work, but me as a human being, how I related to that and how I fitted into that. Now, there's, you know, there's many that would probably have an attitude against that or say against that, but that felt real to me and it was how I saw it. And then, you know, just even talking on things like this at the decision table, there's moments where people go, well, I hope you don't say this or you don't do it this way. And, and I want to be always respectful to humanity, but I also want to give voice to humanity. And I think there's this, this interesting and, and, you know, anything goes here because it's a no judgment zone. So I hope people don't judge me for what I just said then, but it's true to me. And I want us to be able to be true to us whatever our story is, whatever that looks like. Now there's times when I have to pull back and go, you know, this time is not appropriate to do that. Have you seen moments like that in your world? Yes. Yeah, I think that, um, for example, for a big example, the whole Black Lives Matter thing that happened, that started happening last year and the voices, um, I, I learned so much from from just the videos that I watched and the reasons things were happening. Um, one of the most powerful things that I ever watched was this woman talking about how um, about the starting line and all that and where the black and the white people started and everything like that. And I, I understood it. I, I had known about it, but I didn't know about it as much. But what she impacted me was saying, especially when the looting was happening, was, you know, the question shouldn't be, why are they looting she said the question should be why do they feel like the only time they're only ever be able to get this product that they're stealing is by stepping through a glass window so and i was just like <laughs> you know i was just like what a power question you know because again everyone did was just focusing on the looting and they're just doing it for the sake of doing it but i was like well actually i don't like maybe some people are but the majority of people are in the are in poverty so much that the only way they're going to be able to get that loaf of bread or um the present for their kids or a tv or whatever it was that they were looting was by stepping through a broken glass window and i was like what type of society have we are we a part of where this is okay where this is where this is you know the norm that we we just aren't told about all the time and I know the media is so controlled and there's only such a small amount of things that we see and it's only started happening um, because of every all the shifts that have that have um, is because and the only reason it happened was because George, George Floyd got recorded and that's the only reason it started happening. Um, so I, I feel like, yeah, we need to be super true to ourselves, um, but again, be super respectful of what's going on at the time. 
an example. So if we have something that we want to say, especially as a white person myself, um, if we have something we want to say, or if we say the wrong thing, or if we're uneducated in some way, you know, for the cultures that we're potentially, or the people that we're potentially hurting to tell us mm. that we're doing something wrong, or that, you know, you, you don't, that's not actually what it means, or you don't quite understand, or that's quite a hurtful thing to say, and all that kind of stuff. Because I know me personally, I never go out of my way to say hurtful things, but that doesn't mean that I never do. Yeah. Um, so That's I a would, good point. Yeah, but I would just, I would like people to tell me that I've done something or said something wrong and said, actually, that's not what happened. You know, I can explain it to you. Or if you look up this book or this resource or watch, yeah. resource, watch this video, this is explain, probably, probably explain it better so that you know for next time, you know. Love that. And I think this is where it's all around our lenses in which we ask our questions. You know, if we ask better questions, then we will become more aware and then we can, you know, ensure that whatever it is to us, that we are, you know, putting that in place. And I think that that's, that's the thing when you've got different lenses, you can use different filters to then how you will act do speak see whatever it is right uh it's interesting because i think that you know it's easy for us to just hear pieces of of the puzzle and we're not always hearing like even with social media i mean that's one of the reasons there's this huge kerfuffle right now around the media and what is being exposed to us versus what you know maybe we if we had more of a variety then we would have less biases a particular way and i think that's an interesting concept how are you finding like you're in a generation where not everyone would be doing or thinking or acting the way that you are. What are you seeing? I'm seeing a, a generation, especially that's really struggling to come to terms with everything that's changing. So we've got mm. our parents' generation, which is so set in their way that they're not really open to changing. Like a lot of people aren't open to the change. And then we've got the generations below us, which are, grew up in a world that was a lot more accepting and a lot more, you know, beginning to open up and understand and they're a lot more aware of where their future is heading. Whereas we grew my generation grew up in the generation that's right in the middle of the having the super, super closed off parents and grandparents and the super open minded like cousins and all that kind of like younger generation. So especially with my generation, I found that so many people confused. Um, my generation has a super high anxiety level. Um, they're trying to they're in that generation where we're trying to please everyone but know that we can't it's mm. it's such a tough area to be into because we're trying to become people that to become leaders for the like i know for my kids especially mm. we're trying to become leaders for the younger generations um so that they don't have to remove as many blocks within them as what we have like um this last this last three months i think of my life have just been a shift after shift after shift after shift after shift mm. And with everything that's happening in the world, it's not a lot of it's been in my control. And I think as a generation who was kind of taught that, you know, this is what you control, that, you know, you get the good job, you do the school, you go to the uni, you, and because this is what we did and we controlled yeah. everything we did. So we're in that mindset, well, we've been taught that we control everything, but the reality is that we don't. And so the younger generations know this. So they obviously have to deal with everything that's come before them as well, but they have that open mind of knowing that 
what will be will be but i my generation and me myself we're in that shift of where we know we we know that we control things but we just don't know how we don't know how to do it because we haven't been taught and we can't ask anyone else we can't ask the older generation because they'll be like no that's not how it's done it's done this way mm. and when you question it they go that's how it's always been done so it's it's such a tough situation to be in and you've got the people who um in my generation who staunchly listen to their parents and their grandparents they're like no this is how it's done and then you've got the people who are half questioning and going i know that's what it used to be but you know is it like that anymore and then you've got the people who are like you know the universe will guide us exactly where we need to go and we're all on the same path and this is what we're doing and we're creating the new world um and i'm probably somewhere between the second and third rung <laughs> in that yeah you've so many good points there uh, firstly how do you see us narrowing that gap oh i think it just needs to be more exposure i've already said this before it just needs to be more exposure that like there are so many people who just don't know who just don't know what's available and what's open to them and how it all how it all works and what power they have and how powerful their messages are um because people still believe that no one wants to listen to them like you know the um britney hockling britney hockley that's going on at the moment in parliament and people are still saying well if it happened two years ago why is she bringing up now and you're like well because no one would have listened to her two years ago you know so it's, oh, still, true. it's still in that in that process of you know it wasn't there wasn't a safe space for her to come out but now there is and you know but people those closed mind those closed minded people still saying but why why this isn't how it's done you know no one wants to hear about this but i'm so glad that it's starting to come out because it's bringing up so much more uh, topics to talk about and another thing that i'm actually quite passionate about that i haven't really spoken to much is the johnny depp amber heard situation that happened for a really high profile situation and while i don't know much about it i obviously don't know them personally i don't believe personally don't believe that either party was innocent in whatever mm -hmm. happened but for me i really for johnny depp to have lost everything instantly what i feel like that message that came out was that every male that has ever been abused who was praying that johnny depp would get some sort of redemption from mm -hmm. it or some sort of relief so that they could come out and speak their truths it was just shut down immediately so i really feel like in the growth type of momentum that we're trying to go in i feel like that was such a lost lost cause or such a such a a, a lost what's the word i'm looking for growth scenario for us as a planet to go into because he, they are such high profile celebrities that yeah. i think there would have been millions of men watching this who have been abused to go well if johnny depp can come out of it and be believed that he was abused in some way, shape or form, then if I come out, maybe I can also be believed, but it's still such a, uh, you know, women, women being abused has only just started to come out and more beliefs starting to happen. It hasn't even really been spoken that men get abused as well. So, and I feel like because men have such a high, higher rate of suicide levels, because they are taught that to be strong and tough and, you know, hunter gatherer type situations, um, and along with the women having to be the full raising, raising the kids and everything, the while the world is changing, the stereotypes are still there. The stereotypes aren't changing as quickly as the world is. So it's such a, such a difficult situation to be in, you know? 
It is, but here's the thing I'm learning. So I love I love what you say there. The stereotypes haven't changed. The world is changing, but the stereotypes isn't. I, I'm always creating new words for things, even with team members, uh, with what I do, how I do it. And the reason is so that we don't have the biases that can come with it. And, you know, I used to always start my, my uh, this is when I first started working with women, many, many moons ago. And I used to say, I'm, you know, cause I was known as a kick, a butt kicker. And so, uh, I would introduce myself going, uh, so have you ever met another butt kicker? And they'd go, no. And I'd go, great. So that means you haven't met someone like me who can bring and deliver what I can today. And so it was just a great way to, to get people out of, I could have come as, well, I work with, you know, women entrepreneurs and help you to get your work-life balance. But so does so does everyone else. And so it just put this, this frame on it that maybe I don't know her, maybe I don't know what she can bring to the table, maybe I'll be open to that. And, you know, that began many times of framing how to do things in different ways so that I could then help people to break out from that. Because I think I totally agree with you that many stereotypes aren't changing with where the world is changing. And that even just in generational gaps of what you're talking about, there's those gaps are widening because there's expectations on either generation. So here it is, I'm from a older generation than yourself. I am willing to learn, how can I do that better and more effectively? Yeah, I think that goes right back to what we started this conversation on with listening and not putting your own biases on on what you're hearing um, as much as possible. And because, I mean, I learned to respond to people from my parents, from that old generation, which is why I still mm. have my biases or I refer it back to situations that I've been in. Um, and I think, I think it's just, it's more an unlearning process than a learning process. Mm. So I think it more just goes back to listening and, and asking better questions like, um how like like you when we first chatted how are you really feeling you know how are you really feeling how can i listen to you or or you know what situation um or what is making you feel this way mm. you know just be and just saying i'm open to the response i'm genuinely going to listen yeah and i won't reply until you're finished you know so i think it's more of a again and unlearning instead of don't give it don't give advice just yeah no that's listen. interesting so here's the other piece that i find really fascinating is the the anxiety piece you said there's you know in in a lot of cases anxiety isn't on the increase within your generation why why do you think this is like where's this anxiety coming from yes i get that there's expectations on either side that this this brings it but what else is creating that do you think i think it's coming a lot from the fact that the people who are, tr are treating us aren't open to learning new things so um mm. so i think a lot of the time like i said before my partner's going through a lot and He's dealing with a lot of things and he went to the doctors yesterday and he got given such a generic prescription yeah that it's not the, the things he got given aren't going to help him the things he got given are going to amplify the symptoms he already has and 
they didn't they even forgot to give him one prescription they so they said oh just walk to the pharmacy i'll drop it off there you know it wasn't a a checkup and and mm. it, the problem we're having is that yeah the generation so the anxiety that's going on in in my generation's life i think is happening because the people who are supposed to listen to us are trying to treat us in ways that don't work for us they aren't learning about what's actually going going on and it's the same with like um with the endometriosis that's starting to come out and you know that you know having horrendous cramps and bleeding every month mm -hmm. is not normal um for women or you know our pregnancy isn't that bad or labor isn't that bad or you know or, or even you know you can start having sex six weeks after you've pushed a human out of your body you know whether you say you know which your husband is might be or your partner might be cheering for but you might not be ready <laughs> but it's actually good point <laughs> it's almost actually enforced that at six weeks you need to have right. sex your partner is horny you know <laughs> yeah it's such a or if you're not ready oh what about a blowjob then you know it's <laughs> it that's what people are being told and you're like wow. well, mother, i'm trying to breastfeed or i've got a crying baby hmm. or i'm crying for the last three weeks myself you know i'm not in that space yeah oh but you're gonna he's gonna find someone else he's gonna and you're like no <laughs> this is what's still being enforced in us um and these are the things that we're dealing with because of these biases that are still around these stereotypes that are still around that we um even in i think lgbtq um environments you know that you know whoever holds a child or is doing most of the rearing you know it, it's it's you offer you offer favors for happiness and i don't think that's the way it still needs to go. I don't think that's the way it goes anymore. And I, I'm hoping that it's changing a lot quicker than what I'm seeing. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that that has a lot to do with the anxiety that comes around with uh, with my generation and, and everyone else. Um, I remember just, sorry, just before no, my- No, I just, I just wanna, so before you go to that piece, I just wanna make sure that I get, get that piece around the favors. What were you meaning by that? About that you exchange favors for kindness. Yeah. Um, so even in, um, you know, when people say, you know, you need to have, I'm thinking back to the my parents and yeah. grandparents, you know, you need to have sex with your partner so that he's good to you. You know, you right. need so to. So that concept, yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I understood. Yeah, yeah. I just don't believe that's a thing anymore. <laughs> well, I hope it's not a thing anymore. Um, and, yeah. and beyond a partner, I think that that goes into a business, that goes into an organization, that goes into, there's so many things. Hey, I did this for you, so now you owe me this. And that yeah. is such an old school mentality, like you're saying, and we see it rearing its ugly head all the time. And it's not just in partnerships, it's not just in relationships and that, well, personal relationships, it's in the business, it's in organizations, it's in communities. The expectations that come from that then yeah. are just huge. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I found myself the other day, like I have an amazing group of friends who who help each other out. But what I find is that if one friend helps me fill up my cup, then it's, I don't always return the favor back to them. I might still then fill up another friend's yeah. cup who needs help. And it's and it's not that I don't love and respect the friend and genuinely appreciate the friend who helped me out. But it's just that I've, I'm full now. So now I can see that someone else needs it more than this person. And it's not you know, and it's not a, an exchange of favors. I feel like it's more of a like circle or a, or a, you know, funnel, <laughs> you know. I think but actually that's an interesting concept because I really love the fact you're bringing this up because I, I think that I've been guilty of that, even with my personal relationship, 
with my partner and you know it's like okay i did this so you need to do this and the gold came when i realized i just gave because i give and i love and i think that that's what you're saying here is what if we give and love and we spend time doing that and that doesn't mean that sometimes i'm going to be probably giving you some love and and then other times i'm going to be giving that person love and it's not this is hey i've done enough here now you owe me this before i'll give you any more it's just if we and and i really learned this this year because someone and i can't remember where i heard it but i began doing it on january the first because it was part of this having these consistent conversations on the decision table which is i just want to pour out when you pour out of that means that you've got like a giving spirit you're you're um, thinking how can I add value to the other person and that didn't mean that hey when I got to a certain level you don't get any more I've I you know that wasn't like that and I think what if we do it like that rather than going hey I've given you a favor it's your turn payback return on that one right yeah exactly and i think in a business perspective as well um something that has frustrated me so much in my business that is when you know you've done a service to someone and they pay you after the service has been done and they don't pay and they don't pay mm. and they don't, and you have to ask them for it and they're like oh, how dare you ask me to pay for something you've done for me you know i had this woman years ago who i when i first started coaching i only charged a thousand dollars i charged her a hundred bucks a month and she just kept putting back the money back and i said if you don't pay me this week I'm going to have to raise my prices. And she's like, oh, you money grabbing bitch, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I thought you were, you know, a woman and you understood what I was going through. And now you're not, you're not the person I thought you were. And now I'm going to pay you this. And this is going to be the last time I ever talked to you. And I was like, good. Uh, because <laughs> I did this for you and you didn't pay me my hundred dollars this month that you had a whole month to prepare for. And I knew the situation she was going in. She had a sick child and all that kind of jazz. Uh, and I like, um, I donated to a GoFundMe, I referred her to people and all this kind of stuff. And I said, look, I actually have my own bills that I need to pay. Yeah. I need that hundred dollars to be able to pay this bill. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> you know. Um, and she and it's and it wasn't and it felt made me feel like crap for mm -hmm. ages. And you know, and there's always been there's been other situations like that in my life where, you know, you do something um or you've you've worked with something in some way and it's hurt someone in some way or they've gone, oh, I'm never speaking to you again and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's not, and it wasn't, and you know, as I said before, it's never an intentional thing, but you need to fill your own cup as well. And, you know, have that, you know, especially in businesses, have that give and take of people doing yeah. what they can, doing what, so you can then help other people. And it's just a, whereas it's such a, a one, such a tunnel vision exchange a lot in business at the moment, which I'm grateful is changing because a lot of people are going, you know, I am creating this business to help the world instead of helping myself. Um, yeah. well, owners that I've met anyway, yeah. Yeah, I so agree on that one. There are awesome humans that are beginning to realize, hey, if I do it this way, then I can help and impact in a, a really positive way to adding value to humanity. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful change, but I like you're saying, I think that it hasn't fully changed. And if it was, we'd all be happy and we'd all have what we need and access to what we need as well, right? So we know it's not fully there at all. And in fact, a lot of that is is in change. So let's go back to that, that thing that you said. And I think uh, it's interesting 
you know, concept. The world is changing and, you know, the anxiety is created because we're not able to change at that pace or that there's people that are, um, you know, in generations that aren't willing to change. I see that with leadership. It's why I'm writing a white paper around the need for a new approach to leadership is so many times I, and it's one of the reasons to be honest, I didn't want to be in leadership was because I saw leaders that always, you, you had to do it the same way. They sounded the same, they looked the same. And they said, these were the three principles that if you do this, you will be the best leader ever. And I was like, wow, that's like one size fits all. It doesn't. And we know that, you know, we know that that's not a truth yet. We have these systems that are created uh, in ways that, but here's the thing that I learned from that was, okay, I know it's a problem. And what would I need to create or what, how could I get it to a point that we can now go, this is a new way that we can do leadership? And what was I willing to stand up for and stand in and start figuring out to, to shift this from problem to an actual solution. Because I think it's easy for us to go, yes, we're seeing this not happening. Yes, this is happening with the generations and some of them are just not gonna change. So even in leadership, some of them are not gonna change. They're gonna stay doing it. Boy, do I meet those a lot. There's a lot of those ones and that's okay. But what I am finding and what is fascinating at this point is there are awesome humans, awesome humans that are leaders across the globe who are wanting to go with that change and wanting to move forward. Does that mean we'll get over to solutions straight overnight? No, not at all. That's not gonna be happening. But what it does is it gives hope. And what would that be if you think of where you are, what you're seeing with the generations, that gap that we'd like to narrow from generations, what would it need to take for you to have some hope there? I would just love to see more conversations like this in bigger scales. Um, so I think because there's like one person who controls the media, especially in Australia, yeah. that they dictate what we see, when we see, how we see it, all that kind of stuff. I think, and it takes it takes such a long time for people to find people like you or people who, who genuinely want to talk about how to create better change in the world. And I have found an amazing group of people who want to change the world and who want to change it for the better, but that's just who I work with. And I found that almost by accident. I mean, nothing happens by accident, but yeah, the way I know what you mean. It, it's, yeah, I almost found it by accident and people haven't had that accident yet. People haven't had that accident. They don't know where to find these types of resources that are available to them because no one's allowed to share it. Everything gets taken down or blocked or, you know, this post has been removed, removed due to violations or whatever, you know, it's not an e it's not easy for people to to see that this is available to them. So I think what just needs to change is that we make it available to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's as in as much as we can, like, um, so even if that's, you know, like your post last week, you said, is there anyone who would want to be on my podcast? And I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> be 
people, you know, so we need more people asking, you know, who, who needs to have these conversations, who needs to be hearing this or who needs to expose to this so that people can tag or share or join. And I think once it starts and gets the ball rolling, that is so hard. Here's the thing. It is so hard. We are having phenomenal conversations on the decision table. Do you know how hard it is? I still have very little subscribers on YouTube. I have, you know, like I will tell you that people will not necessarily do any comments on the live decision table. It'll be afterwards that they'll personal message. It's almost like these conversations are so needed. It has opened up so many opportunities and I've realized how many awesome humans there are actually wanting to be part of this change. But I can tell you, having been doing this faithfully for the last two months, every single day, it has been so interesting watching how slow it is, how many people won't share it, how, won't comment on them out in the public. So it's guess what? That means awareness is really hard to build. Yeah, I know because it's so taboo. It's still a taboo topic, you know, people are like, oh, how dare I not want to do what my parents did? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got to have these conversations. Yeah, I know, and it's... And again, it's such an it's such an unlearning process, you know, what we what we yeah. learn as children is still ingrained in us so much like we need in schools, especially to be like, you know, or in universities that in a child healing, or we need, you know, in mm -hmm. schools, and I feel like the schooling system is so flawed anyway, that they're not raising us. Don't get me on that topic. <laughs> That'll be another one. <laughs> and like, and I'm sending my kids to a great school, like one of the best, but I know that I don't think I want them there forever because yeah. of the stuff that I'm still unlearning from what I learned at school, which was, you know, and I, man, I was in extracurricular. I did, um, you know, decent at school. I worked most of the afternoons and birthdays on the weekend. And then, you know, and I was still expected to do more and have more mm. and be more. And my parents expected me to do more and have more and be more. And I remember when I finished school and I was working full time and I had two days off, <laughs> I was like, I have two days off. And what? I was like, what is going on? Um, but I felt like I was being lazy or I felt like mm. it wasn't okay that I had this time to relax because that's what I was expected to do. I was expected to do all these things. And I don't want my kids to ever be in that high yeah. level stress at the age of 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, I got a job when I was 14. I meant I never really got to see my friends. I meant I never really got to see my boyfriend. And when I did, it was like, it was just, you know, it wasn't like for a long time, I didn't get to enjoy myself. And so I'm learning now as a 29 year old to enjoy myself, to spend yeah. time with people. That success doesn't mean being super busy all the time. I sat, I had, my kids are mm -hmm. at school and my mom was at work yesterday and I finished most of what I had to do. So I sat down and watched some TV Perfect. and I was, I, I have felt so guilty the whole time. I was like, I'm yeah. not going to stop doing this because this is what I need, but I feel so guilty that I'm not, I had like a tiny little bit of work that I could have done. And I was like, I felt so guilty that I wasn't doing it, but I don't want my kids to feel like that. And then yeah. it's just such a, yeah, and, and people still feel like that. I know so many people who feel like that, that success doesn't mean run off your feet. Success means happy. Mm. And and it's such a, I mean, everyone's lapping up the work smarter, work not work harder situation, but they're still working 
smart while working hard because they're like, oh, I've, I've streamlined this, which means that I can do 1,500 other things at the same time. <laughs> so it's- yeah, I probably am one of those people more than the <laughs> other one, I have to say. You know, I'm often challenged by particularly one person on my team who is like, so where are you spending that time just for you and doing this? And I keep going, well, this is for me because I actually, there is some pieces to it. I mean, you must see this as a writer. Like I love to have that space to innovate. And because I love to dream, I love to figure out, I love to work out things. I love to put design and and try and figure it out. And so for me, that is refueling. That is, I know for other people, that's like, well, that's just more work. And I'm like, no, actually, that's the fun piece of my work that I really love doing. And I wish my whole 24-7 could be like that, right? But I would never get any of the other things that I need to do as well uh, done. So it's interesting because for some people, they love to sit on the sun in at the beach and they could do that for hours. If I did that, oh, my goodness, A, I would be so bored. <laughs> B, like, the, like I would be whinging. I would whinge. I would be like the horriblest person to sit there for that many hours and you wouldn't want to be with me, right? But I love to go for walks. I love to get out. I love to exercise. I love the physical while I'm thinking of the brain stuff at the same time because I really, it's like I'm on steroids when I do that. Yeah, that's when the inspiration flows. Yeah, and so for me that is actually like peaceful and it's crazy and i sit there and you know i can do moments where i literally just sit and i look and and my husband will go to me kira marie uh what are you thinking uh and i'm like nothing i'm just being yeah so i actually do do things like that but they're very very small and it's almost like this little injection and it's just enough for me to go (sighs) yeah and to just be peaceful it's that peaceful thinking um and and be in that space but i have to say if you want me to be refueled energized all that sort of thing it's actually not in those moments those help to keep me balanced but the actual energizing and the refueling is when i'm really busy with my innovative side of me yeah i'm the same with writing my books Mm. is that i get like i gain energy while i'm writing my my fiction books and all that kind of stuff because I just know them, I just get the downloads. Love but no, I'm the same. I'm, I, I will happily, because I've got some really young kids still, I will go to the beach with them, I'll go to the park with them, I'll play with them, all that kind of stuff. And I love doing it. I mean, it's not an emotional break by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but it's you know, it's not working essentially. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm you in the fact that if I meditate or I'm needing uh, to relax and recenter, mm. I am not someone who can do it for an hour because I get so many downloads. <laughs> Me too. It's like, okay, where's that notebook? I need to write that. And then it stresses my brain because I go, what if I forget that one? What if I miss <laughs> out on that? Quick, I need to put that down. And meanwhile, everyone else is like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, no, this is amazing yeah. stuff. I'm listening. I am relaxing. I promise. Deep breath in, right out the notebook. So what I've learned is sitting by the water with my notebook and my pencil. 
And I literally just take that. And I realize that that moment is just as powerful as what someone else is experiencing. And boy, have I gone places with that. And I love that. And I think that's, that's the cool thing is that, you know, all of us have a story. All of us are different. We bring to the table so many beautiful things just like you do. And I think that, you know, part of this anxiety, part of this, uh, you know, generational gap is that there are expectations. Whether we put them on ourselves, whether we think that because we've got the biases or whether it is expectations that others have put on, you know, as this is the norm, this is how it's got to do. And I think that that's, uh, you know, what I love about what we've talked about is the fact that, yes, we've gone there, we've, we've, created conversation around this today i hope that you realize that i'm really listening to what you have said about that because i think that this is really important that listening like we've said listening but i also think that it comes to this point where we also have to go from listening to going what are we going to own with that and you know what are you taking from our conversation today um, that I need to listen better, basically. <laughs> I need to stop. I just need to work really hard internally on those biases that mm. are still within me and to just really hear what people are saying because I've really, I, being a writer, I mean, working with stories every day, I listen, but then as a writer, I then have to turn it into how, and mm. I need to work, I need to pitch it, whereas, and that's just a, a business aspect of my brain. Whereas when I'm talking with people like you or uh, my friends or new people, or if I need to learn things, mm-hmm. I need to switch off that business aspect of how do I flip it to just listening, to just yeah. accepting and just absorbing what they're saying so that I actually learn what it is they're telling me or hear what it is they're telling me. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, one of the biggest learnings I've had from from listening is the fact that I realized that, you know, in general, most people are awesome human beings with so much. You know, sometimes we come with baggage. Sometimes we come with anxiety. Sometimes we come with whatever it is that we've brought on today, you know, uh, and, and that's okay. But underneath is a, an amazing smart person who, you know, we can learn from and we can hear because they've got a different perspective to maybe what we've had or that we have. And because of that, then we can maybe even ask more helpful questions because we've listened. And I think that has been one of the biggest learning curves that I've had over the years. And it's why I've become such a a really avid, you know, listener is because I realized that I came thinking I knew things when I actually would learn so much more when I would stop and listen and not put my biases into play. And I think, so So that's an amazing thing. Okay, so if people wanna know how to, uh, you know, connect with you and do more with you, where's the best place for that? So you can find me on Facebook. Um, I am friends with you on Facebook. Jordan Wright is my name. Uh, you can email me. Um, I can put the email address in the comments below here so that you guys have it. Um, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, 
all those places, Jordan Wright. Um, if you search the Mandala Chronicles, which is my fiction novels, mm. you'll see most of my profiles on there. So that's a pretty unique way of doing that. But yeah, um, if anyone wants to reach out, I would love to chat with you, especially about all things yeah. that we've discussed today. Yeah, I love that. You know what I'm taking from this? I'm taking from this uh, the fact that the generational, I think I haven't really thought about that as much as what maybe I could think about that. And I, I've thought about it at times because I've been affected by it. But yeah. I've also had always throughout my life, and in fact, this was a question the other day, Kira Marie, who, is, who are your mentors? And there were just so many different ones that I've had because I've always looked for mentors in when I've identified a gap in and I've gone for world-class people literally who are the ones you know that have nailed that gap and and in saying that I had this amazing mentor she's she's passed uh, away now but for many years she was like the what you would call the she was literally reminded me of Mother Teresa and and there's a reason to this because she was definitely a lot older to me and she would go as a single woman to do work in india and she she was this most powerful woman that i'd ever met and been a part of she's a very faith woman and so it reminded me extremely of mother Teresa. and uh you know she sacrificed a lot to be able to do the work that she did and I, anytime I got to, I would go and, and I'd go back to the place when she was in town and I would literally just sit at her feet and I would listen. And even though there were things that I would disagree on, even though there were things that I would go, that's just kind of crazy thinking there was so much gold in between that i didn't understand from her generation i didn't understand because i hadn't looked through that as a lens i hadn't understood what it was like to be racing out of one room to the safety of the back door to try and escape from what was officials trying to stop what the work that she was doing in india at that time and there were just and i didn't understand what it was like to to have a proposal to be engaged and then sacrifice or or make the choice and she did say it was a sacrifice to her work and for her it was god so her work uh she felt that she was to be married to god and her work and that she wasn't to settle for in a relationship even though she loved the person and you know it's it's moments like that that i am so thankful i have learned from the generations and then there's moments that my son was born and he had extreme special needs and i have learned so much from him i call him one of my mentors one of my heroes because there's insights that he brings to the table that i would never understand except that he's had to go through things that I've never had to face and he has and I and just to hear it through those so I've I've had the other side that I have realized that there is so much goodness no matter your age no matter your gender no matter your thinking no matter your religious space no matter whatever it is 
that there is just gold because as a human we have so much to offer this world if we're willing to learn from one another and so you know when you brought up around the generations I haven't thought about the negative side of that so much because I have learned so much from generations. Sure, I've learned it through leadership because I saw it as a massive thing, but actually through generations, I've always had the joys of learning from many generations. And I think that's because I've been willing to learn from them. And, and I think that that's the interesting conversation, right? is yeah. how do we have more of these conversations with more of the generations at the table and how do we do that more effectively yeah i think again it just goes back to the listening doesn't it yeah i, yeah. I mean so much that people want to say um like when i came with just a, the day before i found about about my partner's um like issues that he was having i came out in this, this rash and it was, I hadn't changed skin hairs or anything like that. And I, after I found out, I was like, I said to my mom, I was like, oh, it was a preemptive, preemptive anxiety rash. And she just said, you're not the type of person that would do that. And I was like, yeah. don't think that has anything to do <laughs> with, with that. So I think my body knew something was going to happen before I did. And it yeah. came out in this rash to probably alert me to be a, a little bit on edge. And here's but, yeah. the thing, you would have seen the build up to this so there that anxiety would have got to a point that it was so ingrained in you and you saw warning things and just sometimes afterwards it's like yep that's what that was we don't yeah. always know what it is at the time but we know afterwards haha that's what it was so yeah. what i love about that is it shows that you are so in tune with you know and you feel as a human that connection with your partner that you already knew there was things that weren't right at that time and yeah extra support and help what is it that we're we're finishing up now but i just really want to give you the space if you wanted to leave our conversation at the decision table and voice something what is that have the hard conversations because the more that people have them, the less they'll be hard conversations, <laughs> yeah. you know, just have the hard conversations, whether it's, you know, for my own example, telling the real estate to shove off because my partner is sick, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and explaining why, you know, not being, not being scared to share exactly how you're feeling. And if the person you're trying to tell isn't listening, find someone else who will um there are people out there you know if you know if i've done something wrong if, you know or you've done something wrong you know tell the person that done something wrong don't just keep the peace because keeping the peace mm. doesn't actually hate it um just have the tough conversations because the more we do it the less they're going to be labeled tough conversations and just conversations you know yeah i love that all right i'm not going to add anything else i think that was perfect Thank you for being a part of the decision table. Keep doing you, being you. We need more of you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'm going to end the broadcast now. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. 
If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.